And welcome to podcast 89 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. And if you were listening last time, you'll know I was in Saudi Arabia to see what unites the Middle East Kingdom with the city of Newcastle in northeast England. I'm now back with more tales to tell. But first, here's how you responded to last week's episode. If you had a quick glimpse at the picture that accompanied the podcast, you'll see that I was caught in a very tight squeeze between the walls of a gorge. Philip Wilde got in touch to say, I must have watched far too many Hammer House of Horror films. I definitely suspect those walls are moving without a second's notice. Well, I managed to escape from those. <laughs> and did the walls move for you? No, they didn't. Now, I am. I uh, I didn't think I was claustrophobic, but there have been situations in which I have felt very, very concerned. As you know, I have a, 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 a profound fear of heights, uh, and this exploring this gorge, which was. Um, effectively snaking through uh, an extraordinary um, cliff structure in the northwestern corner of Saudi Arabia. Sometimes you actually had to twist your body and crawl along to get through the gorge. And uh, that, when you've got particularly people ahead, people behind, um, you can start to panic, but I did manage to get through. You really are made to travel, aren't you? Um, I, I don't really suffer from uh, claustrophobia, although I did get intimations of it a couple of years ago when I, I went to a, uh, a visitor attraction in the Marni, which is um, a particularly lovely part of Greece's Peloponnese in the south of the country. Um, and there are some caves called the Caves of Deiros, which you can explore in uh, uh, little boats, you're kind of punted along uh, through these flooded caves, which are, of course, filled with amazing stalactites and stalagmites. And there were points where the uh, uh, where the cave roof came down really extremely low, and uh, mm. I couldn't really decide whether it was claustrophobia or a um, decapitation I was most scared <laughs> of, but I certainly <laughs> was quite pleased to get out again. Well, uh, we are, of course, delighted to hear about your experiences in tight spots. Maybe the tunnels of Kuchi outside Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. You can, of course, get us in touch with us at all times at You Should Have BT, or you can leave a message for us at anchor.fm forward slash You Should Have Been There and just follow the instructions. Mark Wilson got in touch to say that most people in Saudi Arabia support football or the other, he says, tourist club, Manchester United. Now, a couple of things. This is all about, of course, uh, Newcastle United's takeover by Saudi Arabia. Um, and I have to point out that Mark's Twitter handle includes the letters EFC, which suggests to me he's possibly an Everton supporter. <laughs> well, as uh, any regular listeners to the podcast will know, I am a Crystal Palace supporter, which means that uh, in the latest round of Premiership uh, matches, I was able to go and watch our home game against Newcastle United, which brought all kinds of uh, uh, fun and games, I think we could say, which I will report on a bit later. But going back to last week's podcast, podcast for a second um i feel that i um i shortchanged you by <laughs> editing out a lot of your 
uh, fascinating tale of your uh, travels to and from Saudi Arabia, but and uh, the ups and downs of the journey. And uh, I actually really would uh, like to um, like to find out a bit more about it. Sure. Well, once I'd finally made it across the border um, into Saudi Arabia, which was uh, on a Thursday evening just before the weekend, I think I mentioned a dozen oh, yeah. tra- uh, coaches yeah. coming from Amman heading down to uh, Jeddah on a uh, trip I really wouldn't want to make by bus. I was able to explore the northwestern corner of Saudi Arabia. And this is where this NEOM project, you might remember, ah, yes, I mentioned, yes. uh, is located. Something the size of Belgium, which we reckon is um, yeah, probably uh, a couple of Wales is. And so many interesting locations. That's an incredibly expensive uh, plan to basically build from scratch in the desert a huge tourist uh, destination or resort, isn't it? Uh, Yes, it's been completely misdescribed many times in the media as building a new Dubai in uh, Saudi Arabia. In In fact, Saudi Arabia is intriguing because effectively... It has zero tourism. It's only a couple of years ago since they allowed people in on relatively easy to get visas. Um, they have a vast amount of land and now they're trying to work out what to do with it. And just in terms of the natural surroundings, goodness, um, apart from these remarkable wadis and these cliffs, you've got the beautiful Red Sea. And of course, hundreds and hundreds of miles of coastline there. And you've got islands. And I think this is where you're going to see the first development, Mick, uh, actually taking islands and putting a low impact, some kind of resort there and maybe changing the rules so that maybe as you're watching the sunset across the uh, Gulf of Aqaba in Egypt, you can have a drink. Um, You can also go and investigate the local wildlife. You can go snorkeling. Um, from just offshore and find amazing coral reefs. So lots of exciting prospects. And I then left and went to the city of Tabuk, which is not going to be on my list of uh, great world cities anytime soon, in order to fly across to the capital, Riyadh. And I boarded an airline called Fly a Deal, which um, <laughs> is, is a terrible name, but a perfectly adequate airline and a two-hour flight i think cost me 55 pounds the the really odd thing is that from a passenger's point of view it's pretty much exactly the same as catching easyjet or whiz air or ryanair or jet 2 um except for the fact that while the uh cabin crew the female cabin crew aren't wearing headdresses they're just dressed normally in in kind of western style all the female passengers i saw were wearing burqas and the other interesting element um, took place just as we were getting ready to take off. Fellow travellers, the text you are about to hear is a supplication which Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, used to pray upon travelling. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Subhanallahi lana hadha. Ah, that was obviously um, a, a prayer. And uh, you evidently arrived safely in Riyadh. So uh, what happened next? There's an awful lot happening in the capital of Riyadh. Now, when you are coming into land, it is one of those really depressing places. All you can see 
is beige in every direction. <laughs> this is the desert, and uh, many of many of the, the the buildings seem to be constructed out of the same the same material. It sprawls in the same manner as, say, Los Angeles, but without the wonder of the Pacific Ocean at one end and mountains at the other. But uh, I I rapidly got to like it, not least because I stepped off the plane and went straight to a place called Diria Gate. This is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is the original settlement of the fortress in which the Saud family, who, who effectively the dynasty that took over Saudi Arabia, based themselves. And I was shown around by a female guide. This is Najla Dries. It's actually a Dira'iyah or a Traif district is the best place to visit and know more about the history of Saudi Arabia as well as we know now the future of Saudi Arabia. So we can see the royal district. We can discover more about uh, how deep is uh, the Saudi history here. Uh, we have lots of museums to know more. For example, we have a Dira'iyah museum to know more about the history. We have a we have. Um, the Arabian Horse Museum to know more about how important were the Arabian horses, the military museum and uh, the daily life museum. And there are also things happening in the area around. I can see some cranes in the distance. Uh, is this being transformed into the hub for something bigger? Uh, actually, uh, a trade district was uh, restored, a part of it, so we can, uh, so the visitor can enjoy during his visit. But we also have uh, lots of places that is original, so we can see the difference. This is amazing. And in Bujera, what will I see there? Just just across outside the the walls. This is a very good question because El Bujeri district at that time was a university and uh, now we have it uh, as a park we have lots of restaurants and uh, cafes for uh, to enjoy and for the entertainment uh, part as a saudi woman from riyadh what does this restoration mean to you well to be a saudi uh, woman in this important place is an honor I mean, being a tour guide here is an honor to uh, and to represent uh, the, the women part uh, in, in the Saudi history, in the entertainment and the leisure. It's amazing. That's Najla Dries, my guide in Diria Gate, which is going to be opening actually probably around about next April and will really comprise an important new dimension to Riyadh, which is, well, with the exception of the excellent National Museum and the uh, Mazmak Fortress in the centre of town, is a bit short of grand tourist attractions. This is going to uh, give you a, a sense of, of how life was with a castle partly ruined, um, the, the houses that surrounded it, and then outside the site itself, they are effectively building lots of appealing um, walkable areas, which is something in a city where everybody drives. And it's, I think, going to be a, 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 an intriguing and um, exciting option Sorry to interrupt, but I, I've got a more prosaic question here, which was that uh, we were speculating in last week's podcast that a night out in Newcastle yeah. 
um, might actually have the edge on one in Riyadh. And I suppose you're now in a position to confirm whether that is true or not. It certainly isn't true. I would, in most circumstances, not that I I, I have anything but uh, admiration for the uh, good people of Newcastle and their ability to have uh, astonishingly energetic and adventurous nights out, I would say that where I was as a as a male um, was absolutely priceless. I went along to a strip of restaurants towards the north of the city where I dined like a like a, a, a shake in a really good Egyptian restaurant. Very, very convivial. The one thing was we were all male and if you happen to be female then you would put in the the family area which was next door which obviously i didn't actually get to see uh so well, well. Yeah. uh but but I, I dare say they will get there soon the pace of change is remarkable in saudi arabia um and it is it does go deeper than just allowing women to drive which something which took effect uh, uh three years ago and of course, it goes without saying that uh, you weren't allowed to uh, wash down your meal. What, what was it, by the way, with um, with anything alcoholic? Uh, my meal was a great success. It was effectively a Middle Eastern metze with with uh, lovely salads and tahini and hummus and olives, and then uh, a main course of a uh, very delicious um, lamb lamb. Uh, kebab so a, a, you know, a, a very memorable meal but yes nothing stronger than tea or juice to drink and interestingly when I finally came to fly home from Riyadh uh, I was talking to one or two expatriates before the flight and they said um, normally it's um, 53 minutes <laughs> they've got it time to the the second um, before we get out of Saudi airspace and uh, the bars are open and you need to talk to the cabin crew to make sure they've got your drink ready. Um, I, I talked to the cabin crew about this phenomenon and they said, actually, because of the flight path we're taking today, it's going to be more like 90 minutes. Oh. So I said, well, thanks very much. I'm going to go to sleep instead. Um, but uh, people I noticed during the flight were very much making up for the fact that they've been in Saudi Arabia for weeks, for months, and um, uh, they were now determined to extract their maximum allowance of alcohol before we touch down at five past five in the morning uh, he throw a bad place for a hangover i imagine i couldn't possibly comment but i'm i'm sure you're right um since last week's podcast i've been doing um, a bit of research into the kind of things that uh, i would like to uh, uh, go and see mm-hmm. if i were to visit uh, saudi arabia and uh, i was mildly surprised to find that actually in the in the south of the country there are high mountains but actually ones with cloud forest on them because I'd always got the impression that uh, apart from a scattering of palm trees there wasn't really very much green to be seen there Um, and in fact that's clearly not the case Um, although most of the uh, the, the, the greenery you will see in most of the country is a sort of rather scrubby kind of stuff but it does host quite a lot of uh, really interesting animals and birds. Up in the north, for instance, in, in that place, I think it was called Tabuk, where, where you were, uh, there are uh, um, Arabian wolves. Right. Um, and then and then there's also a, a wild cat called a caracal, which I think is very difficult to see. Uh, but uh, 
uh, it's a it's a very attractive looking thing, like a kind of lynx, a small lynx with very fetching tufted ears, yeah. um, and uh, apparently it can leap four meters into the air uh, to catch. Uh, flying birds, <laughs> which is um, an impressive thing to do. Um, I don't know how it manages to do it because it's mainly nocturnal, so it must have incredibly good eyesight as well. And there's a very wide spread of interesting birds in the southern mountains, for instance, many different kinds of eagle and bird of prey. Uh, yes, the wildlife, together with the raw beauty of Saudi Arabia, indicates that this so-called neon project is going to be initially all about adventure and the project's leaders had invited along a number of adventure tour operators including paul oliver a brit who now lives and works in dubai and he told me what he thought about the prospects for saudi arabia well they look very exciting of course everything is very new here so they are preparing 100, sorry, 1,200 kilometers of hiking trails, many biking trails. And there are lots of, of interesting places to visit, spectacular coastline with pristine coral reefs. So there looks like there will be a lot for the adventure tourists to do. Although, of course, at the moment, the infrastructure is still being developed. And when do you think you might be able to say to people, whether in the UAE, um, or indeed further worldwide, come to Saudi Arabia and we can guarantee you a good, exciting time? Well, we're looking at the start of the following winter season, so maybe one year from now. Things are moving incredibly fast. I'm hoping to come back at the end of this year to finalise the first package and then we'll have time to promote that. So by the time the weather cools after the Gulf summer next year, people will be here enjoying the great trekking, biking and other activities outdoors. As you say, very little in the way of infrastructure. Now I can imagine that you run some pretty hardy adventures, but even so, you've got to have some basics. And uh, do you think that, that those will be ready? Well, we are assured that there are going to be some hotels and camps ready, but I think maybe the first adventure tourists will be staying in pop-up camps. So they'll be quite luxurious, comfortable uh, with all the facilities, but they'll be pop-up rather than permanent at the beginning. Now, you know the British market as well as the Middle Eastern market. Do you think Saudi Arabia will appeal to people from the UK? That's a very good question and the key to the success of NEOM, I think. I think sometimes Saudi has a poor impression with people in the, in the European region, for instance. But I think it's misjudged. I think the whole of the, the Gulf region is extremely hospitable. NEOM in itself will have different rules to the rest of Saudi Arabia. So it would be like holidaying to Dubai. But I think also it is a really unknown destination. I think there's a lot of adventurous travelers that want to go somewhere they haven't seen before. And I think a lot of people have now been to Oman and the UAE, and they'll be looking to extend that to see what Saudi Arabia's territory has to offer. You mentioned reputation, clearly from a human rights point of view, uh, a lot of people in the UK and elsewhere will be concerned about what they see as a, a very hardline repressive state. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, and obviously everybody will have their opinion and how they want to act on that. Uh, there are many regimes all around the world, including in the Americas and in Europe, that you could say the same about. But people have to make their own mind up, of course. And thanks to Paul Oliver for giving us his thoughts. Meanwhile, Mick, I understand that Saudi Arabia's human rights issues were in the forefront at the Crystal Palace-Newcastle United match. Yes, I cycled down to Selhurst Park to support uh, the Eagles against the Magpies and I recorded this just as the match was about to start. Not long to kick off now, and uh, there's a surprising addition to the usual pre-match singing and the chanting. Somewhere away from me, down at the Holmesdale end of the ground, the Holmesdale Fanatics, die-hard Palace fans with a strong satirical and artistic streak, have unfurled a huge banner which includes a list of tick boxes. This is a mocking reference to the owners and directors test that is supposed to assess the suitability of people to run English Premier League football clubs. Now, I I can't see the whole list from here, but it includes terrorism, tick, beheadings, tick, civil rights abuses, tick. Well, you get the idea. The uh, chap sitting behind me has just said, I don't suppose the Geordies give a monkeys as long as they can buy some better players. Well, the match ended, I think, extremely unfairly 1-1. We should have won. And uh, also, rather bizarrely, it seems that uh, Croydon Police are currently investigating that banner I described um, as a possible uh, racial abuse crime. Strange days indeed. It's a case of the new normal, if ever I heard one. And meanwhile, we are going to unveil a new feature, which we hope will be of help and interest to you. And this is where you, or at least one listener each week, puts a question to us. And we really prefer it not to be the minutiae of COVID testing, but something maybe more inspirational. Which would we recommend? Uh, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, anything that you would like to know. Um, Very simply, you can tweet us your question to at you should have BT, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there and record a question for us. Wherever in the world you're thinking about exploring, there's a chance that we've been there, or at least we'll have a view on it. Just let us know. But for now, from me, Simon Calder. And from me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.